Hi everyone, welcome back to But What Will People Say? I'm your host, Disha Mystery Mazeppa. Our guest this week is Shanitza. She is a veteran spouse, so we talk a lot about being in a relationship with someone in the military. We talk about self-care, and also she's a life coach, so she teaches us a little bit about what she does as well. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. As always, you can find us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, all that other good stuff. I'm not really good about putting things on YouTube. That's more of like my backup plan. Um, but I will eventually catch up on my YouTube uploads. Um, on social media, you can find me on at Dishes by Dishes on Instagram. And if you or someone you know would like to be a guest, you can email bwwpspodcast at gmail.com. And without further ado, here's Shanita. So hi, everyone. We're here with Shanita, and she's going to tell us a little bit about herself. Hi, all. I am Shanita. I was born and raised in Queens, New Yorker for life, no matter how expensive it gets. I am a first-generation Indo-Guyanese-American woman, and let's see, some fun things I like to do include salsa dancing, baking, even though it's not good for my stomach, and um, adult coloring books. I'm down with anything regarding self-care because I'm a life coach and I help women beat burnout, so I'm always trying to practice what I preach, and I'm always trying to do fun and creative things for myself because I'm a tired mom of two and I always need to make sure that I am feeding my spirit and my soul as well. Awesome. That's awesome. Um, So tell us a little bit about your story, however you want to do that. Yes, yes. So um, my husband and I um, met in high school. My husband, so I can offer some context, is Chinese American. He's also first gen. And um, we were both born and raised in New York, but we went to junior high and high school together. But we became friends in high school when we were both part of a junior ROTC program. And for anybody who doesn't know what that is, it's just like a pre military program that high schools offer to, you know, help cadets with leadership skills and things like that. And we were friends, um, but we both had our respective high school sweethearts and had no interest in one another in that way. And many years later, after our high school sweethearts dumped us, we were both single. And back then, we used to talk over I am. Okay, and so if anybody doesn't know what an I am means, <laughs> it means I'm old, and then it means instant messenger. It used to be the platform what that AOL used so folks could connect with one another. So before the DM, before the PM, before a text message was born, an IM was the way that you could kind of ping someone and just say, hey, what's up? And so we connected over IM right before he was ready to leave for the military for his sort of four-year commitment and I thought man I'm having feelings for him but this is inconvenient you know the last thing I want to do is engage in another long-distance relationship go out with another Asian guy because my previous relationship was an Asian American, but his family was very strict about culture, language, and religion, all of the things that I did not really have a place in. (laughs) And um, 
I just thought never, like never, never. I'm never going to date anyone in the military. I'm not going to do any of that. But anyone who's listening, never say never, because as soon as my then boyfriend, now husband, left for the military, we got together and we had a four year long distance relationship until we got engaged and he moved back to New York and we got married thereafter. Awesome. So was the majority of your relationship long distance then before you got engaged? Absolutely. And um, out of those four years, we counted how many days we we saw each other total. I think we saw each other a total of like 90 days um, out of the four years. Oh, wow. And we were long distance across different time zones and different continents. Um, I went to school in Massachusetts, finishing up my senior year of college. He had moved to Washington and Missouri and Texas, and then he was stationed in Hawaii. Um, then he deployed to Iraq, and then I had moved to Hong Kong for a Fulbright Fellowship and then moved back to New York. So we were always long distance, and there was no FaceTime back then, and Skype was pretty terrible. It was like dial-up Skype version. Yeah, like with the Grady video. Grady video. You weren't even sure if you could get on Skype back then. You, you were just kind of hoping and praying you had a good connection because yeah. Wi-Fi wasn't even like a, a thing. And then we used uh, for any, again, I'm old, I'm aging myself here. We used calling cards. So we had to purchase international calling cards, dial the 800 number, right? And you only had 60 yeah. minutes or so many credits. Yeah, you had to right? buy the minutes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. on the card. So you had to buy the minutes on the card. And, you know, while he was deployed or while I was in Hong Kong, we used to have to use the calling cards to get in touch with each other along with um, email and along with snail mail. So it, it, it wasn't easy. We didn't have all the technology that folks now have at their fingertips to stay in touch, but we made it work. Wow. So what was the toughest part about that? <laughs> I'm sure there were a lot. I can imagine that would be a lot. Like, I'm just thinking about, like, if I were in your shoes, I'm like, I don't know. That seems like a lot of work. It is. It is a lot of work. It is a lot of work. I think one of the toughest times um, was when he was deployed because he did not have regular access to a phone. Um, he often went on missions that he couldn't even talk about. And then on top of it, um, you would watch the news and sort of have to shut it off because you would hear about soldiers in in the wrong place in the wrong time and really terrible things happening. And you would, I would just have to kind of pray, like, I really hope that doesn't happen to him. I remember back then, I think I had like a flip phone. Mm -hmm. Smartphones were not yet born. And I had a flip phone. I remember I used to keep that flip phone with me wherever I went. Even if I went into the bathroom at work, I would keep it on me because I didn't want to miss a call coming in. Because if he was going to call, he'd call whenever he could. And I'd have to try to grab the phone, you know, and, and just get my five or 10 minutes of chat time with him before the next time. And I never knew when the next time would be. So it that was, I think, probably the hardest, the hardest yeah, time. Yeah, <laughs> I can imagine. Well, kudos to you for making through it four years of that. That's a, And I know people like that go through more than one tour. And, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. it's just like a lifestyle um, that a lot of us, like, quote unquote, as civilians, like, don't really understand, you know, like what it's like to kind of be in that situation. Like, if you could give, like, any advice to someone in that situation in a military relationship, what would it be? 
Yeah, I think you're so right about that, right? There's no playbook. There's no roadmap. You kind of, you sometimes you can't help who you fall in love with and you're in love and then you are either a military spouse or a veteran spouse and um, no one really kind of tells you what's to come. And anything that I could offer is, um, you know, nothing can take away the pangs of pain or sadness that you might feel when you miss your significant other. I think technology nowadays is a huge help to that, um, to stay in touch. But what helped me stay strong and what kind of helped me persevere is focusing on myself. And, you know, I, we were not married. We did not have kids yet. So I had the opportunity to say, okay, what can I do for my career as he is working on his career and that would help take away the attention off of the missing part and so during those years i had done my fellowship in hong kong so i was international and i was kind of doing that work and then i was also enrolled in graduate school and i was working part-time um i kind of conveniently came back the year the recession happened in <laughs> 2008 which was awful but in a way it was kind of a blessing in disguise because it kept me on my toes and i was working Working, I was in school, so I didn't really have a lot of downtime. So I think, you know, just doing what you have to do for yourself, for your needs, and 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 and, and your self-care. I think that's something I completely missed because back then self-care wasn't even in my vocabulary. I didn't know what that meant, and it definitely wasn't something I practiced. And I think if I knew what I knew now back then, I would have done a whole lot more to kind of feed my own spirit, right? To to go to more dance classes or to engage in things that would give me joy because I think we often fall in love with someone we get into a relationship and we think that that person is like our only or one of our only sources of joy right and there are so many ways that you can lean into the joy and fill up your cup so that you're not always in the sadness or always in the missing or always in the oh this sucks kind of feeling you know yeah like focusing on that void Mm -hmm. Yeah, and focusing on yourself instead. Yeah, that's always that's important in really, I think, any relationship to not to like minimize the void of having someone in the military, but just like being someone who's whole on their own as like an individual person and not like one half of a whole. You know, I feel like we always see people who are like they're busy focusing on trying to be in relationships, but like they haven't worked on themselves enough to like function in a relationship. Cause I feel like eventually whatever you haven't worked out with yourself will come out in whatever relationship you're in. Right. Um, so it's I couldn't really, agree more. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like nodding my head right now. You're totally right. And whatever you didn't resolve or whatever you're not filling up for yourself, that's certainly going to manifest in your relationship. So the blessing in those four years was he's doing him. I'm doing me. We're figuring out what we need and, and all of that. So that by the time we were able to be together in the same state, in the same time zone, we were able to go, okay, cool. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And also like, be fully present in those you know 90 days total that you guys had mm -hmm. together do you did you join any like are there like support groups for that are there like because I feel like as like someone who is South Asian and I grew up in a world where like the military at least growing up in New Jersey and in the U.S. like the military isn't like something we really address 
or like acknowledge that we can be a part of, I guess. Um, you know, like you always hear about like, oh, being in a military family, right? But my, in my head growing up, it was always like, my parents were always like, oh, like Americans do that as it, like, cause our parents generation will always refer to themselves as like Indian and like not really American. Um, so do, how did your family take that when you were like, hey, I'm dating someone who's in the military? Did they know about him at that time? Yeah, all, all good things. And I, I definitely agree with you. I think like the Daisy community, like it's sort of like military for, for those other people, for those other Americans. Yeah, right? it's like That's, a distant thought that we yeah. don't really acknowledge as part of our world. Absolutely. And and yes, I couldn't agree more with that. And um, so when I joined Junior ROTC when I was in high school and I was like 13 in ninth grade, my mother yelled at me and was like, what are you doing? Don't join that thing. They're going to make you join the army. And she scared me. But then <laughs> the recruiter was like, hey, look, I just need people to sign up on my sheet here. Can you just sign up? And then like you can just... Um, go to the, the registrar's office and like take it off your schedule, you know, freshman year. And I was like, sure, this was like orientation for high school. And I remember looking at the cadets in their uniforms and I thought this seems pretty unique. I've never heard of this. I've never done anything like this. I'm totally not part of our identity and like sort of the Guyanese community, but let's try it out. I did day one of it and I thought this could be really helpful for like helping me because I had no confidence. I had no self-esteem. And when you see these cadets, they're so confident. They have their voice. And I just thought, wow, like I could be a leader one day. This is so cool. So my mother was pretty mad at me. Um, but I'm that kid who kind of, um, follows her own path. I guess that's probably the nicest way I can put it <laughs> compared <laughs> to my siblings. And so um, I think my mother kind of, she was finally able to sit with that. And so the junior ROTC and sort of that army culture, the uniform, the, 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 the leadership, all of that stuff, she started to get exposure to. So by the time that I was dating my husband or my boyfriend at the time, she was already like, oh, okay, I understand that. Now, when he was in the military, I think it didn't really phase her all that much because he was away. And I think a lot of Daisy parents, like, they know we've got boyfriends and girlfriends and we're doing our own thing, right? But out of sight, out of mind. Like, if you don't need to see it or hear about it, it's kind of like, all right, let me go about my day. But what would happen is that we only had so much time together during the times where he would fly back to New York. So he would come, say he'd visit, like, for Christmas or something, and he was there. And so my mom had to go, oh, he's here. Oh, this is your boyfriend. Oh, this is actually happening. Okay, this is not just you on the phone talking to some some guy. This is him. And luckily, she had known him because she was familiar with my circle of friends in high school. Um, but I think the the question that she had in her mind was, huh, okay, well, what does that mean for you? And I think her ultimate fear was, are you going to go go away somewhere and, and join him somewhere living off at some base? And I was like, absolutely not. Like I had made it clear to him at the time that I, I was not going to do that and that we would eventually start our lives together upon his you know, resignation from the, from the army, but, and, and then I don't think there's anything wrong with being a military spouse. I just knew for me, I wanted to stay in New York and that was not going to be guaranteed if he had joined the army or stayed in the army thereafter. So I think my mom was kind of like, oh, it is what it is. And we just got to wait this out. But, um, 
his parents were not thrilled about him going into the military. He's the oldest son, and they are Chinese American. And, and I think in, even in Chinese culture, right, in a, a lot of Asian American communities, the military is not something that people are like, yes, let's do that, you know. So um, it was new for them as well. But, um, you know, I, I think over time, because it was such a long time, over four years, it started to sit with everybody involved, if that makes sense. Yeah, like the there's only so long you can simmer on it before you're like, okay, this is just a part of our lives now. Exactly, exactly. I think it impacted his family a lot more because he was the one away and 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 that was a huge sort of shock to them because when he was in college, he didn't go away to school. He was a commuter, so he was always around. Um, but, you know, I think... <laughs> my mom kind of was like, "Oh, okay. This, 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 this is this is who you're gonna be with. This is what you're doing. This is how you roll." Okay. Uh, she always kind of had to like take a take a sigh and shake her head when it came to the decisions I've made in my life. <laughs> yeah, but there was. It didn't seem. It doesn't sound like there was too much pushback. It was just kind of like, "Okay, like this is what you're doing," kind of thing. Yeah, there wasn't much pushback. I think the biggest fear was, "Are are you gonna have anything to do with this?" And I I didn't. So she was kind of like, "Okay, you're back home. That's all that matters." <laughs> yeah, like you're her baby. You don't move away. Yeah, exactly. I know. That's tough though, and that's one thing. Like I with South Asian parents, like explaining the army and the idea of going into the army and into a situation where like, you know, you get deployed and you could lose your life and they could lose their child. They, and I don't know if this is just a South Asian thing, but they definitely struggle with that idea of joining the military. And like, why would you put yourself in that situation? Um, I find that sort of resistance coming from a lot of families, when their child goes into any sort of like line of fire kind of job, mm-hmm. um, whether that be the police force, the fire academy, the military, um, it's hard for parents to like come to terms with that. Um, Absolutely. Law enforcement and sort of public service oriented roles are a huge threat because in, in the South Asian diaspora, for culture, it's very much like keep your children close to you, right? They're not to go away to college or go move away with their spouse or like the idea of them, of us going away is, is it, it evokes a lot of fear. Um, and the further you are away from your parents, the less control they have right? Because that's another yeah. theme that is so prevalent in our culture. It's like, I can control your curfew. I can control your, and, and cause it's all they have left. The bigger we get, the older we are, the, the more they're just trying to hold on and, and you risking your life and, and serving in this capacity that just feels very bizarre is, um, is a huge threat to that. So I totally understand what you mean. While your, your husband now is away and deployed and stuff you said you did a lot of like self-care and like focusing on yourself um how does that because you said you're a life coach Mm -hmm. I'm assuming that ties in with kind of your experience like did that impact your experience in like becoming a life coach like having to be kind of like you know very much in your own person even though you were in a relationship and then kind of working that out that's a great question. Um, hmm. 
I think it's twofold. My self-care game was like on the ultimate end of like in the negatives, like if this, if you think of like self-care as a spectrum, <laughs> as a good self-care and really bad self-care. I think for me, um, getting my graduate school degree out of the way and um, completing this fellowship and learning how to live on my own. Because at that point I had finished my final year of college, I was living on my own and I think it was important to know what it meant to have that autonomy and flexibility and even just to travel, like, right, you know, just to wear my big girl panties, right? And just to, you know, do what I was doing, whether it was internationally or whether it was back home. Um, so I think kind of building my sort of adulting muscles was probably what I was able to do best during that four-year period. Um, I did start taking dance classes. I got awfully crabby in graduate school because all I was doing was commuting home, doing schoolwork, feeling like I was a failure at life because when you're in graduate school, you tend to feel that way when your classes are really hard and you can't pass econ. And so um, I remember I had a few friends who were like, hey, just take dance classes again. And so there were small ways that I was able to bring joy into my life. And I knew how to operate without my, without like being attached to the hip of my significant other. Um, I'm a Sagittarian, so I'm by nature very adventurous and independent to begin with, but I think having that time away really allowed me to to do that. Um, but I have to say that being, you know, in terms of where I am as a life coach, if you told me back then I would have been a life coach, I would have laughed in your face because, first of all, I didn't know what a life coach was. Um, and for anyone who's listening, a life coach is someone who simply helps you overcome obstacles so you can achieve your goals. That's it. You don't need to be broken or in crisis to work with a life coach, but if you are, that's cool. That's even better because they can help you. <laughs> but um, I think I could have used a life coach back then because I don't feel like I leveraged the support that I could have Use. So you talked about like, was I a part of any support groups or anything like that? The answer is no, in like all caps font 72. Um, I thought that I was the only one going through what I was going through. And back then there were no Facebook threads. There were no, um, there were no online communities and that you could trust. There were online communities, but they were shady. And so <laughs> back then, when you were going through something, if you did not know a person going through it, nine times out of 10, you felt like you were alone. So I felt like I was very much alone in my journey. My friends weren't, didn't have long distance relationships, much less with someone who was in the military. And I did not seek support. I did not know how, and I did not learn how to advocate for myself and what I needed until when my, when he came back and then we were married. And then as a veteran spouse, there were other things to work through or other things to unpack. So I, I, if I could turn back time, I sort of wish that I would have reached out for help or even just kept a few friends close to mine because when I was sad, I was sad. I would plunge into that sadness and I wouldn't, I would feel too guilty or too ashamed or just feeling like I was impeding on someone's time if I wanted to call them and like talk to someone. Because sometimes that's just all you need, right? Sometimes you just need someone or a group or somewhere to hold space for you to cry or to vent or to commiserate, right? And now I think that's so cool that there are so many online threads where you can do that virtually and you don't even have to pick up a phone. But those weren't around back then, and so I think the heart, it I definitely strengthened my myself during those years. Um, 
but I think the intensity of all the situations that I've been in, whether as a long distance girlfriend or as a wife or whatever, my major theme is always burnout. I've always burned out. I burned out in school. I burned out trying to enter the world. Yeah, I've burned out in every category of my life. So to answer your question about how did that get me to life coaching, it was me burning out over and over again. And we are part of the DC community, right? And in the South Asian diaspora, there is so much shame, judgment, and criticism that comes with you telling someone your business, right? Telling someone, oh my God, this is what I'm going through, but shh. And um, while today I think that's complete nonsense and I think that we have to constantly like debunk that stigma, back then that was still conditioned in me in a way that I think prohibited me from asking for help and seeking resources that could have made those four years just a little bit easier. Yeah. I know so much has changed like over the past just five to 10 years mm-hmm. where like the world has opened up so much now that like, you know, we got past the like creepy groups on the internet phase right, of like right. the 90s where all of our parents were like, never talk to someone online. Like they're going to abduct you and like sell you on the dark net. Like we've passed that. Now we can like, you know, download Tinder and hang out with a random guy on the internet and like marry him like I did. And like, it's cool. It's no big deal. And it worked out. And that's all that matters. <laughs> right. The internet isn't just a bunch of scary people in masks. That's what the 90s was. Absolutely. Now I feel old too. <laughs> <laughs> so your fiance or significant other, your boyfriend at the time, gets back from the military from his deployment. How did you guys kind of discuss like his deployment? Because I know that like sometimes when people are in the military, they almost like don't they struggle to reintegrate to civilian life, you know? And so what happens is they just keep going back on tour. They keep reenlisting. And that can be really hard on, you know, a military spouse or significant other like you were at the time. How did you talk about mm. or was that something you guys talked about? Yeah, I think you're bringing up something really interesting and significant. Um, I think I tried to talk about things, um, but... I think when folks come out of the military, and I cannot speak for everyone, but having worked in a veterans organization, um, having worked with folks who have just fresh out of the army, have come out fresh out of the army or have been out of the army 30 years and over, talking in general is not easy because when you are in the military, you don't even have time to process what is happening, right? Because you're on, on mode 24 seven. And so when you come back, it can hit you right away or it can hit you five years later. It can hit you 15 years later. The time during which you finally say, whoa, this is what I went through or this is what happened um, takes time. So we, so even though I think I tried to, we didn't get there. It was really more like, okay, now that you're back, let's plan the wedding, right? And then the whole kind of Daisy cultural, what lingo are you wearing? Who are you inviting? Like that, the wedding stuff takes over your life. And then you end up, immersing yourself into those things that are actually far less important. They seem important in the moment because you're like, I got a wedding now. now yeah. That's everything, right? Then you're really broke after the wedding. You're like, oh, this is what real life is like. How do we how do we make this work, <laughs> right? We got to live together. We have to pay bills together. And um, it wasn't until we started to live together as a married couple where um, I think he was in a new civilian job and the job that he was in 
just wasn't as satisfying as his time in the military. And I guess sometimes you don't know what you don't know. You've got to be in a new thing in order to go, oh, wow, that that other thing that I was in was really fulfilling. And now I'm in something that isn't fulfilling in the same way. So now those feelings, uh, sort of the missing of the military and all of those things started to come up. And so that as they were coming up, we were addressing those things. Okay, you're not liking this job. What does that mean for your next move in your career transition? You know, how do you, how do you operate as a civilian when no one's giving you the civilian playbook? How do you how do you who do you talk to? Who do you express things to? And you know, when you are in relationship with someone in the military, you cannot always assume that they will that you are the person that they will talk to, right? We are, mm-hmm. we're always in relationship with someone. We think they will tell me everything. And that is not true, right? There are probably things that you might tell your best friend or your BFF or whoever that you don't necessarily tell your spouse. And I thought, for some reason, like my ego thought, he will tell me everything when he's ready. And that that wasn't true. <laughs> so it's like, how do I navigate that? Who can you talk to then if I'm not the best person for mm-hmm. you to communicate about that stuff? And so again, it comes back to resources. What are those resources? Who do they look like? And a friend of mine who uh, works in the mental health space had introduced me to a conference that was happening at Adelphi University. So it wasn't too far from where we were living in New York City. And she said, go check this out because this is all about veterans and, and military families and you could you could learn a lot. And I went to this conference and it was life changing because it's like, here's a community of people who are saying, hey, I do this, and this is what my organization is committed to, and here we have this service, and there we have that service, and did you know about that? And I was like, what? All these years I thought I was alone? And so, um, again, there wasn't a part of me that thought about resources until I was in it. So when you ask about the talking of it, you know, that that, that just happens at a different time for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, Were there any organizations that you found were really helpful for you guys? Because I know there's definitely some people listening who are in or are currently in the situation you are in where they are dating someone in the military. And like you said, it's sometimes you're not going to be the person that they talk to because imagine trying to relate to an experience like that. Like if your husband was in Iraq, like how can you living in New York relate to that Mm -hmm. at all? Absolutely. And there's a, there's sort of a brotherhood, um, or for any females listening, Mm -hmm. a sisterhood, right? You know, there's a camaraderie that you have with the people that you serve with that only they know about. So as much as I could be woke about what's going on in the military, at the end of the day, I have not served in that capacity. So there are things that I'm just not going to understand. Um, But I think it gets tricky, right? Because if your, your spouse is not communicating what's coming up for them, then how can you know and be understanding of that, right? And so the organization that I found to be very helpful is located in Long Island, the Veterans Health Alliance of Long Island. It's for short, it's called Valley. But there are so many organizations across the country. And I think now, you know, with a quick Google search, you can find those things or a Facebook search, group search. Um, But the first place to start is the VA, which is the Veterans Affairs um, Department, because every person who is coming out of the military, 
the VA is your first point of reference. You're going to be doing like your discharge papers and your medical stuff. Like they are like your first line of defense. And then the VA, whether you're on the West Coast or the East Coast, wherever you are, they should be able to patch you into local organizations that will serve in different ways or be a liaison for other resources. Okay, awesome. That's super helpful. Yeah, and again, I feel it's like about reaching sometimes out, we though. Think the Google, yeah, and like, you know, the Google searches are nice, but sometimes it's nice to have, a, you know, advice from someone who's been through it and not just kind of swimming through all these options um, that you find online. So you guys said that when he came back from his deployment, it was immediate wedding planning. So were you guys engaged before that for like... Um. Or were you just like, we're going to get married? Um, yeah, I mean, I was hoping that we'd get married. I was like, shoot, if I'm going to be in a four-year long, long distance relationship with anybody, you better put a ring on it. And I was, I was very transparent about that because it's very <laughs> difficult to engage in a four-year, any long distance relationship, right? Um, but all of that to say, like jokes aside, towards the very end of his time in the military upon his return from deployment, we got engaged. He finished six more months in Hawaii, came back to New York. And in sort of Daisy style, the wedding planning begun. And, and a year and a half later, we were married. Um, but because he is Chinese American, and because I'm raised Hindu, but I'm Guyanese, you know, it was sort of like, how do we create a multicultural wedding? that honors and celebrates all the different parts of our cultures and our religions um, to make this a beautiful day for both of our families. And so that was my focus. And uh, along with trying to find a place to live and in, in kind of some of those basics, right? But, um, you know, again, like, I think that consumed me. And so I couldn't even think about anything else until that was over. So anybody who's ever had a wedding and is listening, you know how it goes, right? You you eat, sleep, and breathe the wedding mm -hmm. before you can think about, oh, what is life like now with my partner, you know? <laughs> yeah. How, what kind of, did you guys have both types of wedding ceremonies? How did you guys combine both of your cultures? Yeah, um, we did. We did. Um, we did a Chinese tea ceremony, um, and that was with our very immediate family. And then we did a Hindu ceremony, which was long. <laughs> and then we had a reception, and it was just a long day. My day started at 4 a.m. and ended at midnight. <laughs> yep. And, and yeah, and I think it was just like the way we tried to tie things. And in the reception, we had a, um, a Chinese lion dance performer. We had um, a cousin of mine does um, beautiful Indian and Bollywood dancing. And so we just tried to like insert really cool cultural things in the program, as well as the food, as well as the dress, as well as like all of those things. And I think at the end of the day, we were celebrating both. And sometimes when you are in a different cultural relationship there's always this fear of oh no my thing is going to be diluted or that one's going to be more overbearing and we were really good about trying to like have a great mix of both awesome that sounds really fun because <laughs> I feel like like Chinese culture is so like rich in and of itself um and so it can be like just as kind of over the top as like a South Asian culture mm -hmm. can be um, cause I find that like for me with Mike being like 
pretty much just like American. He's Italian and stuff, but like their culture is much more subdued and like low key. And so there were times where, you know, the Indian side really kind of was the overbearing, like <laughs> taking over the room. And like we also have just like much bigger families. Um, so it was at times we had to try to like not overpower like one side with the other especially with the wedding planning. That's why we also ended up doing both. Um, how did you, after going, you go four years, barely seeing each other to immediate wedding planning when he comes back and now we're adjusting to living together. Did you find that that was a really big adjustment to go from like talking sometimes on the phone to constantly being around this person? Absolutely. Learning how to live with anybody is like the toughest time of your life like, right. <laughs> yeah because you know most people they at least in American culture like you live with your significant other before you decide like you know down the road maybe get engaged or get married but like you guys went straight from like dating being super long distance to like living together now we're married and it's like a very big commitment not just marriage but then also living together after never having lived together or been around each other so much totally I had a strict mom who was it, it, while she did not say it out loud, it was known that I would not be moving out the house and living on my own until I was married. And uh, my my husband actually wanted to live together. And I was like, that's not going to work. Can you just marry me so we could live together? I was like, what's the difference? He's like, you're right. Yeah, that's true. This is going to be more or less the same. So um, we sort of took that chance. Uh, but I, I'm wholeheartedly in support of anybody who decides to live with their partner because there's so much that you learn um, before you get married. And so it was a huge difference to live with someone, and I, um, I think I picked up having watched the women in my family. Um, this notion that we have to do it all, we have to take care of everything. And I have a single mom, and she worked full time. She took care of all three of us, and I mean, she did everything. She cooked, she cleaned, she everything, and so while no one was saying, go and do all of this, Shanita, I think that I took on the ultimate matriarchal brown woman identity and I just started to do everything. And I was like, hold the phone. Like this is, this, I, I gotta, I gotta like, I gotta back up here. I gotta take a pause. So, you know, this, this isn't working. And then my husband was also in a new role as a civilian and his job was from 5 a.m. to 6.30 p.m. every day. So he had a really taxing role. And so it wasn't until we were in these these roles that I guess we all kind of take on when we start living with one another and we start playing wife and husband or, you know, partner, whatever, that that's when you're like, whoa, 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 whoa what's going on right now? What's going on right now? <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. we, we just we just fall into this pattern of doing, especially as D.C. women like I know that. If I'm not doing something, I'm being lazy or someone's going to like call me out. Like, why aren't you doing that? You know? And so I had a mm -hmm. lot of that in my head. I had a lot of that inner critic going, well, if you don't, if you, if you just stop and start taking care of yourself, then, then you're not going to be a good wife. And, you know, it's just interesting. Like you don't even realize you pick up those mindsets and those behaviors until you're grown up. And then you're like, holy crap. I'm doing exactly what mm -hmm. I saw everybody else do, even though I promised myself I'll never do that. I'll never be like that. I'll never try to take on the world. And that's exactly what I was doing. And so I think um, 
I think about after a year, that's when we were like, whoa, 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 whoa. We need a backup. We need to talk. We need to figure out what's going on here. And because what, what we're both doing right now, you working all the time and me, do, you know, holding it down at home, that's not going to be sustainable. Yeah. And you're right. Like that is something that's like so deeply ingrained in us by like the women in South Asian culture where like our moms just never stopped. Like my mom too, she worked still does, works full time, comes home and makes like a full on like chakrati darbat for dinner <laughs> and, you know, cleans the house and is organizing and like doing all, like she does the laundry on the weekends. And like, I've never seen my mom stop. You know, my mom just keeps going. And the idea of self-care is like laughable to them. Mm-hmm. It almost, I mean, at times comes across like as like a weakness to say like you need to take care of yourself, that you need to stop and like they are like, no, 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 we have to keep going. We have to do this. We have to do that. And it, the list doesn't end. And it's like, well, the list really never stops. I guess all I have is an apartment and the list of things to do never ends. But mm-hmm. that doesn't mean you can't stop. And like, you know what, today, it's just not happening today. You know, it'll get done. Just not right now. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And actually, if anything, it was those years that informed me becoming a life coach because then what was happening, I'd already burned out as a trying to be a good student, trying to be a good daughter, trying to like, you know, do all the things, right? Check all the boxes that we're supposed to do is like very good girl brown girls right and then um I was burning out as a wife you know and I was also realizing that um there was a lot more to unpack from um, my husband's experience abroad and then I had this role as a veteran spouse and I didn't even know what that meant so I had to do my due diligence and explore that and reach out to resources to help me figure that out for myself and for the both of us and so I definitely feel like those were very informative to me becoming a life coach understanding that whoa, 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 that there's so many of us women, we're strong and we're just trying to do it all, right? We're trying trying to hold it down. I I don't want anybody on the outside to see that I'm having a bad relationship or a bad marriage or a bad this because it's a reflection on me and me not being enough. And I think as a life coach, I finally learned like we are all enough, we're all whole and resourceful and that it's okay to set boundaries. It's okay to ask for help, but I wasn't able to even get to that mindset, right? And to practice that until I realized that I was just doing too much and digging, sort of digging the hole for myself in the ground. And unfortunately, if we don't have like a mentor or somebody to sort of be a demonstration of what it means to have self-care, what it means to have healthy behaviors around that stuff, we will just do what we saw our parents do. There's a saying that I always tell people, especially as a mom now, I'm like, your kids don't do what you say, they do what you do. And so better believe that you will pick up all the habits of your mother or your father, whoever it is that you were around, whether you like it or not. And it's until you're you're there where you can make a choice and say, okay, do I want to keep going like this? Or do I want to, do I want to make a choice and say, I'm going to do something different? Yeah. And that's something, you know, our culture just like, hasn't gotten to where like women are made to feel guilty about everything like brown girl guilt should be trademarked as like a thing we own because (laughs) it's like no but it's it's a constant like even with like being married now you know and I always notice this about the way our parents generation talks about marriages and stuff they always it's always the wife's fault right it's never the guy's fault and even now like once in a while like 
you know, we, I see my parents all the time. They live nearby. And so Mike and I pop over for dinner. We go hang out, whatever, you know. And some one time I remember Mike was just tired. I don't know what it was, but my mom was like, he looks, he looks a little off today. Like something's bothering him. And her immediate response to it was, what did you do? How did you cause that? Yeah. Why is he unhappy because of you? Like, what did you do? Where did you mess up? And like, mind you, we're like newlyweds. We are very much in the honeymoon phase. And like, nothing was wrong. My like, but for whatever reason, she thought something was wrong. And she immediately went to what did I do? And I'm like, excuse me, I did nothing. I'm just here. Okay. Can I have my food, please? Like, I don't know where this is, where this, any of this is my fault, but it, it was just like, I've only at that point had been married for a few months and it was like, we're already doing this. We're already turning into this. Like, what is the wife doing to make her husband unhappy? Even though Mike wasn't unhappy, but even if he was, the immediate knee jerk reaction is like, it's the wife's fault. And I just, I feel like we really need to change that because like when it comes to like self care and stuff, like I'm terrible at it. I've gotten better. But, like, the only reason any of it happens is honestly because of Michael. Because, like, he will be the one to, like, he'll see me, like, working crazy hours. And then, like, this podcast, it's, like, another job. And then, like, trying to manage the apartment. And, like, you know, every now and then he'll, like, show up with, like, flowers and a spa gift card. And he's, like, you need a break. He's, like, just take a second. You've been working really hard. You haven't been sleeping. Like, just, like, hang, you know, take take some time. And it's, like he almost like forces it on me at times when he knows like it's becoming too much for me. And like, I'll never say anything, you know, I just kind of keep going and I keep going and I don't stop just like our parents. Um, so it's nice being in a relationship where someone else recognizes that. But I find that if you're in a relationship, especially with like someone else who is South Asian, where that self-care or acknowledgement of your spouse struggling isn't there, it can be really hard. I'm so glad you mentioned that. And thank you for sharing that because that was actually part of the reason why I was actually very intentional about being in relationship and marrying someone who was not of my same ethnicity because I did not have any healthy exemplars of men looking out for the women in my family. And and don't get me wrong, I love my uncles and my brother and whoever, but when you see the women in your family, the matriarch struggling and doing it all, for me as a little girl, I'll be really transparent. That sent a message to me that, whoa, like maybe, maybe that's not a, and, and I, I say that just like with the most sincerity, you know, because it doesn't yeah. mean that if you're with someone of the same uh, religion, whatever culture that that they're just going to not be a great person. But to your point about man, like, I don't know if I'll feel supported. Right. I don't know if someone's going to have my back in the same way. And what is that all about? Right. And And I don't mean to be heavy, but it's intergenerational trauma, right? Mm -hmm. You know, whether your parents are from India or from the West Indies, right? There is this colonization, this mass marginalization, all this stuff that has happened that has been a huge setback to our women and it never went away. Our mothers and their mothers and their mothers come from legacies of sacrifice where, you know, you couldn't ask for help because you were the help. 
you were the one who had to do everything, at least, you know, in the West Indies because of indentureship. Um, you know, women just a few generations before my grandmother, they did not have the liberties to do what they wanted, to say no, to, to, to do any of the stuff that our parents now consider a luxury, right? You're talking about self-care as sort of this, this privilege. And while we know that we're all kind of like woke now, we know intellectually we have to do what we have to do for ourselves, that stuff is literally in our DNA. And even though we know better, we still have to do the work to do better. And so, you know, good for you for saying, hey, mom, nope, that's not on me. I think that if my mother said that to me at the as a newlywed, I would have immediately, a seed would have been planted. Oh no, I'm not doing enough. I'm not good enough. Um, he's gonna leave me. And even though that seems so silly and ridiculous, subconsciously it's happening because of everything that we've seen and what has kind of come before us. So I think yeah. it's just so important to acknowledge it so that we can be intentional about changing it. Yeah, and it comes with so many things. Like we're almost like groomed to be wives, right? Like, you're, <laughs> I, like, and I know that sounds terrible, but like my mom growing up, every time she it. criticized me, the line was always, if you can't do this, who will marry you? As if everything I did in life, whether it was to get a master's degree or uh, get good grades in school or anything I did, I did not learn how to make Indian food. I wasn't really learning to do anything around the house to this day. I hate doing laundry and Mike does it most of the time. Like, but all of those things, she would always point out those flaws as who will marry you if you can't do these things, as if my only goal was to be suitable to marry someone, right? Like, it was never like, how will you take care of yourself? How will you handle being an adult? Or how are you going to, you know, manage an apartment on your own? Because none of those were things that you had to strive for, right? Getting your own place, getting your own car, having a career, like, none of those things as a woman are celebrated in our culture, like, but you got married and everybody drops everything to be there and celebrate you and to act like this is like somehow the biggest achievement you will have in life is to be married and be a wife, even if maybe that's not what you wanted, mm -hmm. right? Or maybe you worked so hard on something else that you thought was of value, but nobody cared, right? You started your own business. You, you know, did this other thing, spent all these years on no one in your family stopped to notice. But the second you get married, it's like that's all they want. As if your your value and your worth is based on like if someone will marry you. And then the anxiety our parents get if someone, if you don't get married at the quote unquote right age, right? Like, okay, you graduated school. That's usually when it comes, those questions. You finished your degrees, whatever. You're probably around 24, 25. And it's like, oh, have you found someone? And if you haven't, the parents almost see it as like a failure on themselves. Like, oh, I didn't make a daughter who is suitable to be married. I, like no one wants to marry her when maybe she just isn't in the mood to date. Maybe she's too busy to date. Maybe she's focusing on her career. Maybe she just doesn't want to get married. But none of that back comes up. to the up. title of your podcast, What Will They Say? And there's that gap that you named between here's my kid that I'm parenting as a young person, get good grades, get your education, get these things under your belt, and then the gap between I'm an adult and how do I, how do I operate in adult land and how do I live my life as a grown-up and and by the way you want me to have committed my heart and soul to someone else and create a life with them when I'm still barely learning how to create my own and you know I think a lot of the reason why I'm a life coach is because 
the question that I ask everyone that I work with is what do you need? Because if you can get to the bottom of what you need, then that will help you get to the next thing. I need rest. I need sleep. I need space. I need time. I need whatever those things look like, right? Our parents and the generations before ours, um, unfortunately, because of the, the, the stuff that we come from, didn't get to ask those questions and it's not even built into the modalities and the communication that they have, right? So it's do, 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 and no one's ever pausing to say, what do you need? So what you're talking about, that ridiculous standard and unrealistic expectation that happens, it's, they, they don't, they don't even give themselves permission to ask themselves what they need. So then to be able to come to your kid and go, well, what do you need right now? I know you just graduated from a really difficult program what do you need? It's on to the next because people will laugh at your face. I'm sorry, you stopped to do what? You stopped to ask yourself what you needed? That's silly. Um, and going back to the title of your podcast. And so I think now we have the vocabulary and the language to ask ourselves that. And we just kind of have to roll with it. I think also our parents don't know how to parent us as adults. So they will continue to ask you, did you eat today? They will continue to say, you know, did you did this, that, and a third, right? Um, and they don't, not all of them, I wouldn't say all of them, right? But I, I can say safely that there are a lot of parents who will never break that habit, right? Will kind of like treat us as their babies, as their kids. Um, with these really unreasonable standards and expectations. Um, and it, it's hard. It's hard the w any way you dice it. Um, but at least, I guess, what I can say from sort of all of the hardships, my, my mom didn't acknowledge, like, great job. You were just in a long-distance relationship. I didn't get any of that. I think the acknowledgement came, oh, you're married now. Great. Good. Um, and I've had to do the rest on my own. Yeah. For sure. It's going to take a while. And then, you know, sometimes it's just a matter of like forcing it on them because now I feel like now that I'm older and I can kind of reflect and see like all of this that my mom has been doing and working so hard and all of that. It's like I, well, how Mike forces self-care on me, like I can now like force on her and be like, oh, you know, like you should like go get your nails done or like, why don't you come bowling or like just like do something fun because I feel like our parents are just like work 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 all the time and never give themselves permission to just like do something for fun because it's almost considered like a waste of time in our culture mm -hmm. um, especially with like that immigrant kind of mentality that comes with it where I'll just be like you know let's just go for a ride or like you know hop in the car like we'll do whatever because um, even something as simple as like get your nails done mom like my mom didn't get her nails done ever in her life until my wedding. That was yeah. the first time in her entire life that she got her nails done and got her hair and makeup done, you know, for the wedding. And I'm like, you've never done this. Whereas like, I'm, you know, like a, I almost feel like a privileged little brat where like, I get my nails done pretty regularly. You know, I go every three or four weeks and I get my nails done. Um, and for no reason other than I like getting my nails done, you know? <laughs> But I, I like force myself to do it because it's like I like consciously realized like I started I felt guilty when I would get my nails done just because I liked it. Right. You know, you're raised where like that was something it was a waste of money. It was a waste of time. You know, why would you ever do that when it's 
because where I was raised like with very conservative, very like practical and parents. Google. Right, right. Like, exactly. All DC and, parents, it's like, why are you spending money on that? Exactly. <laughs> you could be spending right. money on that. <laughs> and when I when I got married, like, I, like, I was telling Mike, I was the first few times I got my nails done, and then I kept going back because I really liked it. I love my nail lady, and I would tell him, like, I know this sounds really stupid, but I feel guilty every time I go. I feel like I'm wasting money and I'm not being practical. And it's a silly thing for me to be spending, you know, $25 every month to get my nails done. Right. And he literally looked at me. He goes, DJ, you have a full time job and it's not breaking the bank here. Like he's like, you work 40 hours a week. Right. And like it it. took it like took him turning around and being like, it's DJ, you it's not like you can't afford $25 a month. Like this year, you don't work at McDonald's anymore. Like when I was 16, I worked at McDonald's. And so that was his thing. He's like, just. I don't understand. He couldn't wrap his head around it. Like, why do you feel guilty about this? And so it almost become became a thing where like, I would just like force myself to go just to like get over the guilt. Like, no, it's fine. It's okay. You're allowed to go and do something once a month that like, just because you like it, because it makes you happy and you love hanging out with your nail lady and you love having your nails look great. And I still do that. I still get my nails done pretty regularly unless they're like on a break. But and what it's you're like speaking to is something that I don't think we always think about it this way, but it's courage that you are saying, despite these guilts, despite these things that I've been raised with, despite these inner critics in my ear going, why are you? But do you deserve this? But da 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 da, you are still mustering up the courage to say, you know what? I need this. I want this. I deserve this. And I'm going to do that. And our parents, unfortunately, are so scared to death of going outside of the norms that they were raised with, the same stuff that has been passed down to us, that they are not willing to be courageous enough or give themselves permission to say, I'm willing to do this for myself. And they just lay that stuff. They offload it onto us. So, well, you're doing that. How come you're doing that? You shouldn't be doing that. And for anyone who's listening because you know the name of your podcast is really important like what will they say you have to go back to your own courage right how do you activate the courage inside of you to say you know what despite this person's race ethnicity culture i love this person and i'm willing to honor my needs and and do that no matter what someone else says and how do i dip in and find the courage to talk to my parents and have the conversation that needs to be had about this relationship that I've probably been hiding or not been fully transparent about or how do I have the courage to say you know what enough is enough I have to do what I have to do for myself because that's what it always comes back to how do you um, activate the courage to say that I'm willing to do this no matter what, because this is in alignment with what I need for myself, for my relationship, and for where I'm heading next. Yeah. And I think like sometimes we do, we do mix up like self-care with just like treat yourself. Like, Mm -hmm. all right, we don't have to like go, we like almost use it as an excuse to just like keep buying stuff or like getting tickets to this or going to that. And like, for me, the way I see self-care is like doing things to take a load of stress off, whether that be getting your nails done or maybe it's making a budget so that that you can live within to manage your finances if your finances are stressing you out, if you maybe are spending too much on certain things or living outside of your means because that's 
also like that's causing stress and now we need to like figure out how to manage that right like you can make a budget where you can still do fun things and still live within whatever your income might be or taking the time to get to bed at the same time every night or not eating like crap and going to McDonald's every day just because you had a long day like for me I guess I very much differentiate self-care in that like it has to be somehow bettering you and we're not just using treat yourself as an excuse to like you know go balls deep at Sephora all the time you know like there's a difference and there's like a fine line and sometimes I feel like our generation gets like very in the materialistic I guess materialistic yeah a little bit where it's like we can't call everything self-care you know like I love I love doing makeup like I mean I own half of the things on the shelves of Sephora okay (laughs) I get it it's a dangerous place right but like I also acknowledge I'm like this is something I really enjoy doing and that's why I spend the money on it but I don't sit there and call it self-care you know what I mean so one thing I would offer there is that you know you just said it brings you joy and one of the things that I share as a coach is that like joy is something we need and joy actually has the highest frequency when it comes to keeping your vibration high and so while we don't think about engaging in joyful things as self-care or we do but we sort of categorize them right like oh only that thing is joy or only that you know like joy is joy is joy you could do an adult coloring book you can go have a fun date with your significant other you know whatever that looks like for you um sometimes it's doing absolutely nothing, you know, you know, again, you know, we're so in the thick, we're swimming in this judgment, shame, criticism, see from our parents and from all of these other people around us. Um, And so it's just important, again, like you having the courage to say, you know what, this works for me, or this works for my relationship. And that's going to be that, you know, in a long distance relationship, no one really understood. They were like, yeah, what you're doing is a little weird. You know, what you're doing is a little offer you know I got a lot of criticism from people soft soft nice criticism mm-hmm. right not in your face criticism but yeah. kind of like oh you you sure about that you sure you right. really want to do that right it's and like I you're think, actively choosing the harder path yeah and I was courageous enough to say this is what works for me given it's even though it's difficult even though it's non-traditional at the end of the day you have to do what honors you and your heart and what brings you joy and you know that is just a path that I've walked it has never been traditional but I think once you can get over the comparing yourself to other people slash letting all the inner critics and your parents stuff in your head then you are able to be on your way. Yeah, I think you. I think you pretty much wrapped that up. Um, is there anything else you'd like to share with us? Yeah, well, I am a life coach, and so if you are having trouble just holding space for yourself around self-care, I actually have a new video series every week. I release a one-minute video out of 1,440 minutes that we have in our busy days as working folks and, and in school or whatever here's how you can take one minute to sort of activate your breath and get aligned. And so um, you can feel free to catch that at Coach Shanita on my IG or Facebook. Um, But, you know, if you are in a place where you're trying to activate your courage and you're in your relationship or whatever it is, however it is you roll and you need support, don't hesitate to ask for help. And I'm welcome to anyone reaching out to me. Yeah. And how can people find you? 
if they yep. want to get in touch. Absolutely. You can send me a message um, at Coach Nita on Instagram or on Facebook. I also have a website, CoachNita.com, and you can learn more about my work um, and reach out to me there. So, um, you know, we have to continue to keep these conversations going. I think the more we talk about it, the more we can kind of dismantle some of these awful stigmas and things that, ha you know, plague our communities and our relationships and, and just continue to empower one another. Yeah, awesome. And all of her information will also be in the description section of the podcast. So if you guys want to find her, um, you can just drop yourself right into that. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. It's a pleasure. That's a wrap, everybody. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us. It gets us one step closer to maybe ending up on the homepage would be kind of cool. Um, we are growing slowly as always word of mouth is how most of our listeners find us so tell tell a friend tell someone you know um, tell someone who you think would benefit from listening to this um, it means a lot to us this show wouldn't be possible without you guys so thank you thank you thank you for always tuning in and showing all of your support and we'll see you guys next Monday bye